The Rod and Staff podcast comes out of the host's passion for Christ and his church. It exists to encourage a deeper engagement with issues that pertain to doctrine and life. Check us out at rodandstaff.org. Welcome to the Rod and Staff podcast. I'm your host, Roger, along with my co-host, Jason, and we are back for another episode where we are going to get back into the London Baptist Confession. We have not forgot about the confession, although it's been a few months since we've been in it. We're going to jump right back where we left off and continue on uh, with the confession. But before we begin, uh, I have a question for you. of course you do. <laughs> uh, recently, or the last few couple months, you've been uh, working through and preaching through the book of Ephesians at church, mm-hmm. and wanted to see if, if you could give a high-level summary of the book of Ephesians as you've been going through it, and what's your favorite part of, of preaching through the particular book? Because you've preached through a lot of different areas, but what about Ephesians has grasped you this, this time around? Okay, high level, high level view in, in my estimation as I've gone through it is um, grace poured out mm. and grace lived out. Maybe that's okay. the best way to put it, where you've got this front end, which is this flood of God's grace mm. in our lives and all those indicatives. This is who we are in Christ because of Christ before the foundation of the earth, election, uh, sovereign God, his will, the counsel of his will, all those things. And then the second half is, okay, if that's true, now what does that mean for the way you live? Mm. So grace kind of lived out and it's all empowered by grace. It's none of it's by the individual's own ability. It's all this grace that's working in and through us. And, uh, so that's kind of a high level summary. Um, if I were to put in just a few words, favorite part is whatever I'm preaching that week (laughs) (laughs) just because it's all so rich now obviously chapter one is probably the preacher's dream Mm -hmm. because well it's grace yes as you know unadulterated as fully formed as possible the way we are saved and the, the glory of that gracious God so that was amazing preaching mm-hmm. through that and it, it caused me to be just so aware of the worthiness of our God while being more aware of my unworthiness. Yeah. And that's kind of carried over through the, the rest of the book for me. Um, but so every passage is kind of great on its own yeah. as you're thinking about how he, Paul's building to this place. So, Yeah. Do you, I don't know. Do you find it hard that as you're studying all week, you're getting into it, you're just saturated in it, you're so excited to preach it, and how hard it is to get others to be as excited about what you've just been spending hours studying in that short time that you get to teach? So l- let me say this. I am so grateful for the saints at TMBC, and there are a number of them that seem to be as excited, okay, good. <laughs> which has been really neat. Uh, and I get a lot of texts and emails afterwards where people are really encouraged, yeah. challenged, blessed. So that's been great for me. I think more than wondering if they're going to be as excited about it as I am is wondering how in the world I could possibly communicate yeah. the fullness of that passage 
in a way that, you know, I've had the blessing of studying it all week and being immersed in it all week. And, and then I have half an hour to share that. Uh, I, I feel like I, I'm, you know, they're, they're being cheated. The yeah. congregation's <laughs> being cheated, not me. I'm, I'm able to read all these people's thoughts on it and immerse myself in it. And then I just, I feel like I feel bad for the congregation. I wish I could help them to see even more than yeah. I'm able to. So, but really I am grateful for the saints who are following along and, and seem so encouraged and like to, to encourage me as well. So it's been neat. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. short little book. Yeah. Um, the next one's not going to be so short, but let's see. Revelation. Right, right. <laughs> Please don't don't uh, uh, mislead our our uh, listeners, because no, no, not quite, not yet, okay. not yet. The other end of the canon. Our listeners can figure it out. That's right. <laughs> well, let's let's get back into our confession. Um, we ended off last time, or we had a couple episodes on Providence. So we are in uh, chapter six. It's chapter five. Chapter five, paragraph. Paragraph six. six. Okay, there we go. And I think this is our fourth <laughs> episode. Fourth, yeah. On on the on Providence in, from the Confession. So we'll wrap it up uh, hopefully in this uh, this episode. Sure, hope so. Uh, and so let me read for us paragraph six, and then add some summary thoughts before we get into it. So paragraph six <clears throat> says, "As for those wicked and ungodly men whom God." As the righteous judge for former sin does blind and harden, from them he not only withholds his grace, whereby they might have been enlightened in their understanding and wrought upon their hearts, but sometimes also withdraws the gifts which they had and exposes them to such objects as their corruption makes occasion of sin and withal gives them over to their own lusts, the temptations of the world and the power of Satan, whereby it comes to pass that they harden themselves under those means which God uses for the softening of others. So mm. last time we uh, were looking at paragraph 5, mm. which dealt with believers, dealt with the elect and God's providence in their lives. And this one transitions to the other side of the spectrum and yep. how God deals with unbelievers uh, called the wicked and the ungodly men. Um, yeah. I think we were, we were talking earlier about it. It sounds like an imprecatory <laughs> paragraph here. Uh, yeah, um, in some ways. To the wicked. But your initial thoughts, I mean, it's, it's a weighty paragraph with some hard thoughts to think about. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like when we read this particular paragraph, um, a few things jumped out at me as I was reading it initially and it made me long for the previous paragraph. Mm. (laughs) It made me think just how glorious grace is because, but for the grace of God, yeah, this is who we are. Um, we fit that category of wicked and ungodly. We, we fit that category Mm. that, um, you know, without grace, that that's who we were loved being wanted to be. And so it, it's, it's just a reminder of mm-hmm. how, how big God's grace is. Now, can I just mention one thing here, Roger, you read like the original version. 
Did, did I pull you, up the Did you catch that? Because I was like looking at it going, man, he, he decided to go King James um, on us today. So um, if our listeners are going, wow, there were some withalls in there yeah. that I'm not sure of. Uh, that's because you read the original, which okay. is just great. I'm an originalist. That's <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, uh, but it's exactly the same as what the modern English translation says. Yeah. It's just that maybe a little bit easier. So I might be reading. If I'm going to read parts of it, I'll, yeah, I'll read from, from the modern um, version. But yeah, wicked and ungodly people, that's that's who we are and would or would have been left it as if not for the grace of God. What about you? Any initial thoughts when you read it? Yeah, I think the the one that uh, sticks out to me is what you we talked about without the grace of God, yeah. where it talks about His withholding mm. of His grace, and yeah. there is something active and passive going on there. Yeah, there is an active withholding of grace, and then passively allowing that just to play out and what life looks without God's grace, how different it would be yeah. if we didn't have his grace. I, I, I think initially looking at this, we have to check our hearts mm. before even reading it, because if we start reading this with a bent toward the ungodly or those who are not believers as they deserve judgment, can't mm. wait for their judgment. And we're looking at it, we're rejoicing in this rather than a sober mind that this is how God is dealing yeah. with those who are not uh, his own. Yeah. Um, that we could maybe get off in our, our uh, perspective of it because at the end of the day, you know, our desire is for those who don't know him to know him. Yeah. But the reality is this is how a sovereign God deals with his creation and it is his sovereign right yeah. to work as he pleases and chooses. It's it's really interesting because something else highlighted here in just what you're describing and kind of what I what I was alluding to is the role of God's covenant in mm -hmm. all of this. That the difference between the believer and the unbeliever, uh, in some ways, connected to this covenantal relationship, and particularly the headship under which we're found. Are we still under Adam? Or are mm. we under Christ? Yeah. Um, and providence, so so chapter 5, uh, paragraph 5, was about providence for the believer. This cha uh, paragraph 6 is providence really for the non-believer. And one one author, and so um, uh, James Renahan has this great little book. When I say little, I mean very big <laughs> book. Um, to the judicious and impartial reader, it's his exposition of the, the this particular confession, the London Baptist Confession. Um, he refers to uh, some other church early, you know, um, uh, particular Baptist that were thinking about this and those that were participating in this kind of thinking and theologizing. And he said one of the things that was interesting is for the for the believer, the same the same what looks the same outside. So the same kind of providence someone gets into. Uh, a hardship, a trial or whatever mm. from the believer's perspective, if you go back to paragraph five, that incident, whatever it is, is under the guidance of a, of a loving father. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing here in paragraph six is providence for the non-believer under the guidance and hand of a righteous judge. Mm -hmm. And so 
and what's the difference there is the relationship we have to Christ. Um, in Christ, God is our Father. Yeah. Without Christ, God remains our righteous judge. And one comment he made, or one person made, is even our enemy. So actually, um, James Renahan says that uh, a good, what does he say? A good title for paragraph six would be God's ways with his enemies. That was hard to to read, but it's so true because what's he saying in this paragraph? He withholds his grace, right? He takes away the gifts already that they already had and exposes them to situations that their corrupt natures turn into opportunities for sin. And if you think about Romans one, right? He yeah. hands them over to their own sinfulness. Um, kind of thinking back to Pharaoh and. Pharaoh hardens his own heart, and then God hardens Pharaoh's heart. You've got these two things going on. And so this is God's way with the non-believer, mm. with, with, as uh, Dr. Renan says, with his enemies. How about I'll read it in the modern version and get another taste of it, yep. um, and especially because it's such a hard uh, yep. paragraph. So, so it goes like this. God is a righteous judge, sometimes blinds and hardens wicked and ungodly people because of their sins. Mm-hmm. He withholds his grace from them by which they could have been enlightened in their understanding and had their hearts renewed. Not only that, but sometimes he also takes away the gifts they already had and exposes them to situations that their corrupt natures turn into opportunities for sin. Mm-hmm. Moreover, he gives them over to their own lust, the temptations of the world, and the power of Satan, so that they harden themselves in response to the same influences that God uses to soften others. What I found interesting is, reading it again, is if you look at this word um, they use sometimes in verse 6, sometimes blinds and hardens, Mm. and then it's repeated in... um, not verse, but in, uh, later down, not only that, but sometimes he also takes away the gifts they already had. Mm. What I found important with that is, um, you know, you look in Scripture and you do see the wicked prospering. Mm-hmm. You see the ungodly. We see it in our, our day, right, mm-hmm. that there are non-believers prosper. Mm-hmm. This isn't a guarantee. This isn't as if there isn't even that common grace or that that prospering, but in the end, they don't prosper. Right. In the end, it's futile. It's vain because there's no hope after the grave. But sometimes God works in ways that we don't know, so we can't always know exactly what he's doing, Yeah. right? It, 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 yeah, well, well, and that's why the, at the end, he says, um, the, the last sentence, it says, moreover, he gives them over to their own lusts, the temptations of the world, the power of Satan, so they harden themselves in response to the same influences God uses to soften others. Yeah. So sometimes something will happen and we'll look at it and we'll say, wow, I wonder if the Lord is using that hardship to yeah. draw that person to himself because God often does that. At the same time, sometimes hardships actually push people away from the yeah. Lord, right? And something in the heart of that person is what is... Um, is leading to that that response and reaction. If the Lord softens their heart, he pulls them in. If he hardens it, uh, they they reject even more. Yeah. 
And isn't that what we see in the prior paragraph with believers, where it's that time where he says um, he allows even believers to have temptations and see their own sinfulness. Yeah. But with that, it's to make them aware of the hidden strength of sin, the corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts so that they may be humbled and leads them to a closer dependence on him. So in that sense, it's a drawing back to himself rather than allowing them just to go astray. So there's influence in both, right? But one influence brings back where the other leads, I guess, more to pride if you're looking at being humbled compared to being prideful to, you know, uh, away from the Lord. So, yeah. And I want to, I want to make sure we don't miss this point that, that, we're not talking about uh, the way the confession is laying this out and the way the scriptures lay this out. We're not talking about neutral people mm-hmm. that God is now intentionally hardening this group of neutral folks. And then these mm-hmm. others are, we're talking about, as he said from the very beginning, he says, we're talking about un- wicked and ungodly people. Okay. Yes. We all can fit that category at some point. Right. Yeah. But I wanted to be clear that this is the, the bent of our hearts is already there, that these people have already sinned against and continue to sin against God. It's not this neutral uh, person that God is just going, okay, I'm going to put you this direction and put this other one that direction. Yeah. Now, we may not be able to understand fully how that plays out with God's sovereign, you know, being yeah. sovereign. But at the very least, what we want to make sure not to say is that um, he's just kind of, I, I hate to say, it, but it kind of leads to a, a super lapsarian kind of position, mm-hmm. uh, which maybe some people appreciate. <laughs> I, I don't think it's, I don't think scripture mm-hmm. leads that direction at all. Uh, that somehow he, these are neutral and he's going, okay, you, I'm going to, I'm going to have a bad providence, evil providence for, and you, I'm going to have a good providence to No, there we're all worthy of this punishment, etc., discipline, uh, judgment, but um, in, in paragraph five, it talks about the elect that somehow are redeemed from that and, and pours out his grace. The other thing is interesting, by the way, is uh, uh, when he says, where does he say this? He takes away the gifts they already had yeah. and exposes them to situations. That's an interesting one because Dr. Renahan hmm. says that... Um, in that world, in that kind of Puritan world, they would have thought of the gifts that God had given that were being removed as the preachers and teachers of the word. That's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So he, he was talking about um, the fact that um, the ministry of the word is being removed from them because gifts would be Ephesians 4, 11, yeah. you know, apostle, prophets, evangel, or apostles, evangel, yeah, that whole thing. Go ahead, you're looking at a passage. And they reference, I'm looking at the reference, so it's, it's Matthew 13, 12, that they're referencing there, mm-hmm. uh, which says, for, the to one, for to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Yeah. And I appreciate that they're looking at that verse, because, yeah. I mean, isn't that sometimes hard to wrestle with mm-hmm. but it's true he's going to take it away from even whatever little they had he's going to take away yeah um he says one one comment i read from renahan he says even if they sit under the ministry of the word and observe the power of the work of the spirit in the lives of others 
he does not grant that work to them, allowing them to fall deeper into sin. It's, it's a, the point of this sentence in 5.6 is that as an act of judgment, the Lord removes the messengers of the gospel from people who reject him in order to pursue their sins. It's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we look at, you know, how, I, I guess I look at the contrast of before we're believers, we shake our fist at him. Yeah. You know, and even today you'll see it. Uh, people shaking their fist at, at God. The fool says in heart, in their heart, there is no God. Oh, yeah. everyone knows there is. It's the rebellion against him. Yeah. Um, it, but we're worthy of this. Mm-hmm. And I don't want any believer to think somehow that, oh, they get what they deserve and we do too in terms of salvation. No. Yeah. Salvation is completely undeserved what this paragraph is describing though is deserved and there, it's, there's no unrighteousness. That's why the, the, yeah. the father is put here as the righteous judge. They emphasize his righteousness and justice in this. It's mm. not wrong what he's doing though. It's hard for us to grasp. And um, though our understanding of fairness may differ um, and partly because we're honestly, we're living in a world that's uh, has a wrong view of fairness. We, we do shake our fists at God. We don't understand the holiness of God. And so the sinfulness mm-hmm. of sin, as one of your favorite authors, mm-hmm. Ryle, would talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's good. Any other thoughts before we look at the last uh, paragraph in this chapter? I, I do want to read something that, again, just as I was looking at Renahan's material, yeah. and it's, it's really good, his material, especially because he's going back to the the guys that were writing at the time that this confession was written. Yeah, that context is helpful. I wonder how does that compare to um, looking at, you know, it's it's a lot of this is from Westminster, mm-hmm. the Westminster Confession of Faith, you know, in, in that context to... He, he looks at that too. Okay. And so in his book, he'll he'll even, in, in this section, he quoted um, the uh, the larger catechism okay. to f- help clarify and, and give greater context um so yeah he's looking at all that material and it it, it it's very connected like okay. you're saying but here's what he says about pharaoh's hardening mm. i thought again it was interesting and important he says pharaoh's actions were his own and yet they fulfilled the purpose of god his design was that pharaoh would refuse the gracious message brought by by moses and in refusing that message, confirm his own downward spiral into sin, ultimately leading to both temporal judgment, death in the flood of the Red Sea, and eternal judgment for failing to receive and believe God's messenger. It's, it was still his actions. It was his own, in his own heart's decisions yeah. and desires, and God does not coerce those, right? Um but he changes the hearts of some by his grace. Mm-hmm. And in other cases, he does withhold that grace as the, uh, the paragraph says. Yeah. Should humble us as we think about the gospel, right? Absolutely. That what God has done for us. And then looking out toward those who don't believe with a compassion mm-hmm. rather than a judgmental heart. Unless you've tasted mm-hmm. the grace of God, or maybe you've forgotten the grace of God. Yep we can get off in how we view those who don't know him. 
And remember, we don't know who fits under paragraph five and who fits under paragraph six. We just don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, just Deuteronomy 29, 29, the the, the hidden things belong to him. And so the call of the believer, though, who is part of paragraph five (laughs) is to go preach the word, to love the lost, to have compassion, to share with them, believing that if they believe they will be saved. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's Spurgeon would talk about that. You know, the elect don't have a tag on their back telling us that they're the elect, so we just preach it all. Amen. Yeah. Well, and what he says about how we ought to uh, deal with unbelievers and what our evangelism should look like. You know that mm. famous one? Okay, you're going to make me pull it out. I'm pretty sure I have it favorited here on my... Uh... Should I tell a joke while you're pulling no, it No, no, I got it. Okay. He says here, if sinners, <laughs> if sinners be damned... At least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Yeah, I remember that. Amen. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Let's look at the last um, paragraph here, paragraph seven, mm-hmm. short. Uh, the providence of God in a general way includes all creatures, but in a special way it takes care of his church and arranges all things to its good. Mm. Look, you, st- you were talking about the fact that I was preaching from Ephesians. Mm-hmm. I cannot help but... Just think of Ephesians 5 and Christ's love for the church, his yeah. bride, Yep. right? Listen, I, I love and care about a lot of, you know, all, all people. I, I, there's no mm. one that I hate, okay? But my wife is my wife, mm. and I am going to do everything in my power for her good because I love her in a very unique way. Christ says that about us. Yeah his church, his people. And Providence does have a very particular purpose in the life of his church. Yeah. Yeah, in caring forth that the church will not uh, go away. The church will always remain, Amen. whether it's a remnant or it's flourishing. Yeah. It, it's his church. And it's not the building. It's the people of God, as we know. That's right. That is his church and his bride. And, yeah. and I, it's a good reminder as it ends that uh, providence of God in a general way includes all creatures. Nobody's outside of his providence. Nobody right. gets a pass. God is working in and through every single uh, situation, every single moment. That's mm-hmm. hard to grasp. You think about how many people on this earth, how many things are happening at yeah. one time, and God's in control of all of it. Yeah. And working his good purposes through all of it. Yeah. And there are good purposes for those who are in Christ. Yeah. That bring him glory, even the hard ones. Um, I kind of feel like it's a, almost a Genesis one versus Genesis two kind of thing, where you've got this grand cosmic God created all things, and you yeah. know these six days of creation in detail, and then in chapter two, this zoom in on humanity. Yeah. Well, yeah, God's providence is for all things, all creatures, everything in the universe, all stars and mm-hmm. galaxies and all that. But then zoom in on the church, the bride of His uh, beloved Son. Um, Thomas Goodwin. So this is from Renahan's book, Thomas Goodwin, 
quoted as saying this, but Christ as son over his own house. Now, whose house are we? The reason why thus himself by his spirit builds it is held forth in that one word. It is his own house. And therefore he will oversee the doing this himself and will do it so that none shall share in the glory with him, although he useth them. So the idea is like, why is there a particular providence for the church? That's his house. Yeah. Doesn't it give you relief? You don't have to worry about the church. Mm. You don't have to worry about other churches. You're not the guardian of other churches. <laughs> You're not the protector of others. It's it's yeah. God's church. He's going to do what he wants with it and protect it and bring good out of it. But also just thinking of of when we're when we're criticizing the church, mm. we're criticizing Christ and His church and what He might be doing maybe different what he might be doing uh, in other places. Just humbling to think about when you pull back and say, wait a second, this isn't man's doing. This isn't man's faithfulness. This is Christ's faithfulness at the end of the day. Even those churches that you look at and say, okay, you're going astray. It's not about the faithfulness of man. It's about his faithfulness. You know, book of Revelation, you look at the churches and the lampstands he removes from certain places, certain churches that looked faithful and then lost their first love and just the different ones you read there. But God is still overseeing. Christ yeah. still loves his church as messy and dirty as it could look at times. Right. Yeah. And isn't that also uh, encouraging? It's his body that he's sanctifying. Yeah. I mean, if I were thinking rightly about all this stuff, yes, I think I would be relieved, <laughs> like you said. Uh, but we don't often think in these terms. Mm-hmm. And what you just described is, is so good, so true. Um, I wish I kept that at the forefront of my mind more often. I would be so much less critical, mm-hmm. um, both of others and myself and ourselves here as sure. leaders here in yeah. the church. And so much less burdened in this sense. Um, it's not about my ability, my work, mm-hmm. uh, but the good shepherds. And um, he is faithful. And providence, this idea of providence, pro video, right? This seeing before, uh, yeah. watching over, watching ahead of time, watching before, is very particularly for the church and for his people. That's where all th- where we, we could read Romans eight twenty eight, which yeah. um, I think it was Renahan again who said that paragraph five is like an exposition of Romans eight twenty eight, really, where all things work together for good for those who love Him and called according to His purpose. That's the church, yeah. th- those who are called according to His purpose and love Him. And, and I think you know, we, uh, it would be wrong not to not to talk about His providence and how He's worked in our church Hmm. and now he's worked in the life of the church since we began you know the many years that we were praying lord provide us a a home provide us a a building where the ministry is growing we don't know what to do and all the doors that are shut Hmm. all the ways that he kept us from possibly making some really bad financial decisions of overstretching you know we were walking by faith but still some of those could have put us in a really difficult spot. Yep. And then in a, w- in a strange way that none of us had planned or could have expected, brought a, a location 
and people, as we talked about, we wanted to reach out. We wanted to bring others, you know, um, and, and become uh, more multicultural in a church. And how are we yep. going to do that? And just put it there. And he cared for this church and brought it. And it's alive yeah. today in a new way. It's it's refreshed in a new way. And we hear it from, from those. And it's all God's providence. None of this Amen. was... The plan of man. Now, the plan of man it thinks and God directs his steps. We yes, know right. that. But how you think back to all the different occasions and and how all of it came together and the relationships that I had differently from you and just yeah. all these things, you can't look back and say this was due to man's wisdom. We're just not smart enough. No. Roger, there's just, we're not smart enough. We could never have planned what God has done Mm -hmm. and, and he is worthy to be worshiped. And, um, I'm sure there's so much more that we don't see. We get to see this, which is kind of neat. You know, we we get to see and rejoice. There's so much of his providence that is hidden. Um, and we trust him. And we probably take a lot of that providence for granted. Oh yeah. Not even realizing every day of our lives. Yep. Well, it's a, uh, Good chapter, uh, hard chapter to, you know, as we look at just a contrast there, but the mm-hmm. reality of truth that we need to understand uh, God's character, how he deals with his creation, his sovereignty, his holiness, uh, his providence, all wrapped up in this uh, chapter for our good and his uh, glory. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts uh, on chapter? Just worship him. He is worthy. Amen. Well, if you have any thoughts or comments or questions, send them our way. We'd love to hear from you. And and you can reach us at feedback at rodandstaff.org. And we hope you'll join us again next time. This is the last episode of Season 3, and we are going to take the month of August off. We will be back in September, and we hope that you will join us then. If you enjoyed this episode of the Rod and Staff Podcast, please subscribe and share with others. For more information or to contact the host with questions or comments, please send email correspondence to feedback at rodnstaff.org. That is feedback at rod, the letter N, staff.org.